Good morning, Redeemer. Thank you so much for having me here. This is such a great blessing. Um, I've been here a few times, and it's always a privilege to be welcomed here in Arlington. And um, I do have one correction to Paul's introduction. It was actually my wife who got the master's in counseling. And trust me, you would much rather be counseled by her than me. So, um, but it is true that I was born in Arlington. My family was living in Grand Prairie at the time. And, uh, but we've been in the Dallas area for most of my life. And uh, I've, I have the privilege of serving international students at, uh, at SMU. But I'll tell you, they'll come to Arlington if they want to find good food. Uh, so uh, I find myself over here more than you might expect. Um, and, uh, but once again, a privilege to be here and to open up God's word to you at, from Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look this morning at just a few verses. Uh, and, and, you know, Matthew is this ancient biography of Jesus, a, a gospel. It's telling the good news of a coming king. Uh, and, and it's important to remember, as you read something like the Sermon on the Mount, this famous speech that Jesus gave, that the primary function of this sermon is to show us who Jesus is. More than anything, it's to keep in mind who is it that is saying these words? Who is it that could speak in this way? And he's showing us here specifically what our calling is. And I think, you know, this, as you're in a time of transition as a church, passages like this are really important to remember what is your primary calling as a congregation, as a Christian? What is it that you're called to in the world? And that's what we're going to look at this morning from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, let me pray for us and then we'll dive into God's word. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this time to come and hear from you. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to receive your word, and may we leave this place transformed by your grace, fed by your grace to go and be salt and light in this world. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you would... We will be reading now from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Hear the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. The salt of the earth and the light of the world, famous Phrases. You've probably heard them before. You know, we have a, a saying, you know, oh, that person, they're the salt of the earth, right? Good, good people. Uh, this is a very famous saying, but when things are really famous, sometimes it's hard for us to remember what they actually mean, what they're actually calling us to. And we'll look this morning at what are these metaphors of salt and light? What are they calling us to exactly? But before we do that, I, I want us to think, why is it that we need salt, in the world? Why is it that we need light? You know, we need these things because we live in a world where there is despair, 
and malaise and, and darkness and confusion. That is our reality. And I was reminded of this. I, I was recently thinking of, of a movie I saw years ago, and it, it tells the story of this young man's life from the beginning uh, all the way to when he goes off to college. And really, it's, it's about him, but it's actually about his mother and, and the challenges she faces. And this is what she says when he's about to leave for college. She says, this is the worst day of my life. You know what I'm realizing? My life is just going to go like that. This series of milestones, getting married, having kids, getting divorced, when I taught you how to ride a bike, getting divorced again, getting my master's degree, finally getting the job I wanted, sending you off to college, and you know what's next? It's my funeral. I just thought, she says, I just thought there would be more. I think that's how most people think. I think that's how a lot of people think, how a lot of people feel. It's a sense of despair, directionless confusion. Is this really all there is? This is our world. So if that is our world, then what is our calling as followers of Christ? Well, you can summarize this passage, and this is not original to me, uh, but I think it's the best way to summarize this passage. Pastors like John Stott, Tim Keller, many others have used this, but I think it is the best way to summarize what Jesus is saying is we are meant to be a counterculture for the common good. We are meant to be a, a contrast community for the good of the wider community. And we'll see that this morning in salt and light. So if you see here in verses 13, in verse 13, it, it talks about you are the salt of the earth. Well, it's important to see here, and both of these yous are y'alls. <laughs> these are actually, this is second person plural. So it, it's speaking to a community of people. So as good Texans, we can substitute y'all are the salt of the earth, right? This community, uh, he's talking to the new covenant community. Jesus has come to establish a new covenant, to, to bring the long-awaited promised kingdom of God, and with that is the creation of a new community of people that will be from all nations who are given this responsibility to go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So we're seeing here what it looks like to be an ambassador of this kingdom, what it looks like to be a member of this new covenant community. And what is it that ties salt and light together in terms of our vocation? Well, think for a moment about salt. Salt is wonderful, but not if you eat it by itself. <laughs> if you eat a handful of salt, it's not good. You need salt to be put into something, right? But if the salt tastes just like the thing it's put into, it's lost its worth. It's lost its value. So salt needs to be engaged in something. It needs to be put into something, but it needs to remain distinct to have its purpose. And the same is true of light. Right? If you shine a flashlight in a room that's already lit, you don't really see the difference. Light has its function when it comes into the darkness. So both salt and light, they have their function as a contrast. But it only works if they're, if they're engaged in something. And so Jesus is calling his disciples, you need to be engaged in this world. 
And I think the reason that would have been challenging for them is the verses right before this, in verses 11 and 12, he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted, when you are reviled, and when you suffer for my name's sake. Imagine receiving these marching orders. Yikes. <laughs> That's what it means to be your follower? I'm going to suffer? I'm going to face persecution? No, thank you. I'm going to retreat. So right after that, he says, yes, you will serve persecution, but you will have persecution, but don't, remember, don't forget your calling is to be salt and light. It's to go with this good news. So there's fear they're facing, and it's a great temptation. You know, Jesus says in John 17, Father, I pray that you wouldn't take them out of this world. Leave them in this world so that they might be your light. The church is an odd community because it's a community ultimately not for itself. It's a community that's meant to bring a blessing to the world, to its neighborhoods. It's meant to have an effect on the world. We need this reminder always. It's very easy to become insular. And there's important functions of the church that are internal, and we need those. But it's so important to remember the church is here to be salt and light in the world. Salt is, is a flavor enhancer. It, it brings life and vitality and, and, uh, to things that are bland. Yeah, salt had many functions in this time period. It could be used as fertilizer. It could be used as, as a preservation agent. But I think specifically here, Matthew has in mind, Jesus has in mind, the flavor enhancement. Because Jesus says, what good is salt if it's lost its taste? Well, I think it's important to ask yourself, when I look at my neighborhood, when I look at my school, when I look at my workplace, how has it become a lifeless place, a tasteless place, where people are thinking, this is all there is, and there's nothing more? Yeah, it's this idea of, of malaise. Right? It, you can lose sight of what you're here for because you don't know what you're here for. So you look in your neighborhood and in your city and you think, what is my call? How can I manifest joy in a contagious spirit, a compelling spirit, where somebody would meet you and say, I don't know where they've been, but I want to find out. I don't know who they know or what excites them, but they seem to have something I don't. You know, I had a student tell me one time, he had a terrible fear of death. And I related. Death is a scary thing, but I got to tell him about the hope of the resurrection through Jesus and how that has anchored me. And I'll never forget, he said to me, I wish I had what you had. And I, I, I think there are so many of our neighbors that actually think that. You may be surprised to have a hope that lasts through difficult times, to have a promise of comfort even when you mourn. I think the world is looking for that. This past summer, I, was, I had the privilege to preach, to, to officiate the wedding for my sister-in-law in New York City. Uh, she lives in New York, and uh, it was an incredible privilege. I got to meet many of their friends who were very successful artists and who were far cooler than I will ever be. <laughs> uh, they had you know, fashion lines on New York Fashion Week and art exhibits uh, and, and incredible art museums. And um, I thought, man, they're going to listen to what I say? Okay, let's see what happens. But 
And I, I preached a very basic gospel message. I talked about marriage and the good news of Jesus. And I had several people come up to me afterwards and say, that was beautiful. I've never heard that before. Can you, they ask, can you send me the transcript of what you said? <laughs> you know? And I'm thinking, this is just the Bible. You know, that's all. I, I'm, this is very basic things. But it reminded me, the world really, it wants what you have. They really do. And yes, there's hostility. Yes, there is backlash. But you would be surprised how much the world wants what we have in Jesus. And that's what salt does. It enhances. And light reveals the truth. It provides guidance. I, you know, if you go into your basement and you shine the light and you find out what's really down there, whether you wanted to or not, right? We're called to be light to our neighbors, and so ask yourself, where, where do you find darkness or confusion in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, at school, among your friends? Where, where, where do they seem directionless? Where does it seem like they're wandering in the dark? And think about how might the good news of Jesus shine a bright light into that? Called to be light in our communities. How do your words and actions illuminate the truth? How do they bring true revelation? And how do, how do they bring light and not just heat? <laughs> it's easy to bring heat sometimes, right? But light does more than that. Light brings hope. It brings direction. And that's what we're called to be. Now, this is a high and beautiful calling. Uh, but if we're honest with ourselves, this is not our reality so often, <laughs> I know it's not my reality. There are many days where I fall short of this. And I think it's important for us to ask, why is that? Why is it that we frequently fail to be salt and light? And I think there's a couple ways that this manifests itself among us. And I think the two basic ways is that we tend to over-adapt or under-adapt. To over-adapt is to say, I want to be so much like my community. I want to be so much like my environment where I feel comfortable. I always feel welcomed. Where this is really my home. There's a lot of ways to do that. We, we could spell out many ways. And I hope you're thinking now of ways that you've done that, ways you've seen that done. It's easy to say, oh, I just want to fit in. I don't want to be thought of as odd by my neighbors. I don't want to receive ridicule. I want to go with the flow. But the problem there, if there's no contrast, you've lost sight of what it means to be salt and light. But then there's under-adapting, right? You could say, well, I'm going to be so different that I'll never even see my neighbors. <laughs> I will be such a contrast, they won't ever even hear from me. Or if they do, it's just be, they'll know that the, the only way that they'll ever hear from me is so that they know I'm different, and that's the only thing they'll know. It's to, it's to remove ourselves from society. And I think of Jesus all the time, how easy it would have been for him to remove himself. You think of all these interactions he had. Most of them did not go well. 
most of the time, people did not receive him well. Or when they did, they just wanted to use him. But he, he, keeps, he keeps coming back. You know, I, yeah, I, I'm just, it's an emotional thing. Because I think of many of our students who, you know, the moment they haven't expressed interest, people left. <laughs> and I, I get that. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard when you face opposition. But I can think of stories of when people did come back, like Jesus, and the difference that made in their life. Because they knew this person wasn't just interested in me to come to their event. I wasn't just another box to check for them, but they really cared about me. And even when I wasn't interested, they still wanted to be my friend. And I know students who belong to God's kingdom now because people kept coming back. And that, that's the temptation that we face so often is to say, I'm just going to retreat. I'm just going to retreat and not be in that environment and not engage in that way. And that's how salt loses its taste. That, that's light being put under a basket instead of being put on a stand where it belongs. Because you, we have something beautiful. But it's hard when you face opposition. Recently, I've been reading a novel called The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene. Uh, Graham Greene was a British author, 20th century, and, and he, uh, he wrote a lot about faith. He had a very complicated relationship to faith, but um, this book specifically is set in Mexico in the 20th century when there was a lot of religious persecution. This is during the time of the Cristero Wars. There was a lot of anti-clericalism, so they were killing priests, the government was, and, um, you know, uh, they were destroying churches, and um, this, the story follows this priest, and he, there's a moment he's in prison, and he remembers the days when the priests had a position of, of power and influence, and he got to be in the high places of society, and he got to enjoy all the benefits of being a priest, <laughs> And then he remembers in this moment, now that he's in prison and people are, are seeking him out uh, to, to kill him, and he thinks, but you know what, I think this is actually more real. You know, I, I think I was lulled into a sense of security because I had privilege, I had status, but I think I'm actually closer to Christ now. He has this, he has this experience of this, that actually the suffering showed him how much he just wanted the same things that the world wanted. He wasn't a contrast, right? So this is the temptation we face. 
is, is to over-adapt or under-adapt, to become just like our community or to completely retreat from our community. But salt and light lose their function when we do that. So the question we're left with is, well, how can we do that? We know what we're supposed to do, what we're called to do. We know that we often fail to do it. But this would be a bad sermon if I ended there. (laughs) Or if I left you with, here's five easy ways you can do this. But remember what I said at the beginning, this is all about Jesus. Who, Who is saying this? And what has he come to do? We we must look at the one who was perfect salt and light, who didn't run away from his community but engaged it, but always in a way that was different, where people knew he was different. People said, no one we've ever met has spoke like this man. He scandalizes us, but we, we keep coming back to him. We're drawn to him. And he did it perfectly every time. He revealed the true nature of God and God's kingdom, even when it was hard for people to hear. If you just read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, there are many examples. These were not easy things to hear, but he he loved people well enough to tell them the truth, even when it hurt. And he told them the truth even when it was unpopular with the religious elite and when it was unpopular with those who wanted nothing to do with religion. He told them the truth even when it was unpopular. And ultimately, he did all of this on his way to the cross to to bear our curse, to bear the curse of a world in despair and confusion and malaise. And what happened the day he died? There was darkness all over. It It was the darkest day where there... The light was not shining. But after going into that darkness, he rose again to to the brightness of light and life, to new eternal life. He rose again from the grave. And he lives in the light of life forever, interceding on your behalf. Gladly, he, he sees you, his father sees you as his own child because of what he's done for you. And if you believe that, if you look at what your Savior did on your behalf, that he was faithful when you weren't, that he bore your curse, but not only that, he rose again to light, that you can be the light of the world, not because of the natural light you have in yourself, not because of your talents or your gifts, but because you're reflecting an even greater light the light of the risen Savior. And and he says, people will see your good works. They will see the light you shine, and they'll give glory to your Father in heaven. I've always thought that was such an interesting phrase. Why wouldn't they give glory to me? (laughs) I'm the one doing the good work. Wouldn't they want to give glory to me? Uh, If I'm honest, oftentimes I'm doing good works because I want to get the glory. I want people to look at me and say, that, that's a nice guy. I should come to his events on campus or, you know. But Jesus is saying here, if you, if you do these good works, they'll give glory to your Father. What kind of good works must these be? 
Well, we're actually helped here by our Westminster standards. Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 16, they define what, what, what makes a truly good work. And it's this. A good work is one that is done by a heart purified by faith in accordance with God's word and for the glory of God. And I, it has been my experience working with many students who are from non-Christian backgrounds, who are in a new culture, who are afraid of being manipulated and taken advantage of, that when, when someone does a good work like this, they know it. They know when someone's being genuine. They know when someone isn't trying to do a good work just for their own praise. I've seen it. And your neighbors will too. They'll know when you're, when you're doing good in your community, not just to make a great name for yourself, but because you have a greater motivation, you have a deeper grounding in your life. There's something different about this person. And to do these good works, you have to reflect on the object of your faith, just like we are this morning. That's why you come here week in and week out to remember your Savior who loves you, who gave his life for you, and who rose again for you. And the more you reflect on him and the salvation he's brought you, you will be shaped and formed like that, conformed to his image. And as you immerse yourself in his word, a good work is one done according to God's word. The more you immerse yourself, it becomes the water you swim in, the air you breathe. And God's word just flows through you. It becomes just the way you operate in the world. People will notice. They'll see a difference. And the more you reflect on your ultimate aim, which is to glorify God. You know, I love that point in Acts where they said that they, the people could tell that the disciples had been with Jesus. People will tell what your aim is. They say, this person doesn't seem to want the recognition. Then why are they doing it? People will notice. Your community will notice. Arlington will take note. This community is after something larger than just themselves. That's the beauty of what Jesus is inviting us to. And I'll close with this. The good news is you're not alone. You're not alone. You are a part of a worldwide community that is being salt and light all over the world. In hard places, you are not alone. But you're also not alone because Jesus goes before you. Jesus has gone before you being salt and light, and he's given you his Holy Spirit so that you can be salt and light in this community. And that's good news. So friends, go be a counterculture for the common good. Be salt and light here and to the ends of the earth. What a great invitation our Lord gives us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, what a gift it is this morning to receive an invitation, to receive a calling, to go and to be salt and light in the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were salt and light even when it was hard, even when it was challenging.
that you engaged with the world. No one was ever as different as you were. You were perfect, God in the flesh, and yet you loved your neighbors perfectly. And Lord, you died on our behalf, bearing our curse, so that we could go and be your ambassadors, your new covenant community, not in our own strength, but in the strength you provide, not for our own glory, but for your glory. So help us, Lord, as we go from this place to our workplaces, to our schools, to our neighborhoods, to be salt and light, reflecting your glory and the good news of our crucified and risen Savior and the hope of glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.